0: I just felt like my skills were better applied to being scrappy, you know, essentially being quite frugal, making good choices about not spending money and being patient in terms of looking for success.
1: Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from leading SaaS entrepreneurs and operators across the world. I'm your host, Alex Huma, and the show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October the 15th to the 17th, 2018. Before we make it to Dublin, however, we're bringing SaaStock on tour. First up is London on March the 21st, where we'll have 300 SaaS founders, their exec teams and local VCs coming together for one day of epic content. From the likes of Des Trainer, co-founder and CSO of Intercom, Ryan Singer, Head of Strategy at Basecamp, Peter Holton Moorman, CEO of Trustpilot, Philippe Petteri, partner at Accel, and Lawrence Brett Stern, CRO at Pipedrive, just to name a few. Check out SASDOC.com forward slash ontour forward slash London for more event details, including full agenda and to book your ticket for you and your team now. On this episode of the show, I speak with Bridget Harris, CEO and co-founder of You Can Book Me an online scheduling tool that she founded in 2012 and has bootstrapped to profitability. Bridget and her co-founder wanted to make decisions on their terms rather than have investors meddle with the business model. While the bootstrap route may not be suited to everyone and it's certainly not for the faint-hearted, it allowed them to grow slowly and apply all the learnings they've accumulated through building a few other products before you can book me. Being very strict with the money in the bank but still knowing when it's worth taking a risk has been the key to Bridget's success. The company recently reached 2 million in ARR and is well on track to get to 3 million by the end of the year. That accomplishment will make You Can Book Me very attractive to investors. Path Bridget will have to give very careful consideration to. Listen on to learn how to make finances work in a bootstrap company and still grow. We could basically combine a forecast of how fast we were growing versus how much money in advance
0: we were going to get. So we knew how much we could spend on top of what our technical actual income was. And we rode that way for quite a few years and then borrowed money from the bank,
1: good old fashioned overdraft. What is the defining characteristic of a great entrepreneur?
0: You know, an entrepreneur that is that is doing well is somebody who is defining risks by, well, what happens if I lose all the money? Well, what happens if, how, am I letting people down? What would be the worst case scenario? Would I have to lose my job? Would I be able to pay the rent? And for that to be brutal, but but doable, like if the worst case scenario happens, I'd accept it on the, on the nose because it's worth going forward with the project
1: what it takes to get in the stride of running a company properly the more involved i've got
0: the more systemic decisions i've had to take like we're setting up the u.s subsidiary we're hiring this person we're buying this we're doing that and these things all add solidity to your decision
1: that you're running a business before we get to my conversation with bridget a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS revolution show on itunes or your favorite podcast app helps others find the show and learn from our guests Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Bridget Harris, uh, CEO and uh, and founder of You Can Book Me. How's it going today, Bridget?
0: Really well, thank you. Yeah, we started January with a good old um, lift in terms of our activity and everybody's back on, you know, back at their desks after the holiday period and organising stuff and booking stuff and very busy. So we always see that reflected in our new year boost.
1: Excellent. It's always good to start the new year with uh, uh, with the bang. Likewise, I think we've... Uh, We've similarly had a a good start to the new year. Um, Bridget, you know, we want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, Tell us about yourself. Who who is uh, Bridget Harris?
0: Uh, So, well, I'm one part of a co-founding team, myself and Keith. We've been running You Can Book Me for nearly 10 years now, actually. Um, We're a classic story of, you know, accidental entrepreneurs that started building web products 10 years ago, just wanting to um, ride the wave of, um, you know, new... Um, web applications that could run um, over the cloud, cloud computing and so on. And um, we started building products together in 2007 and then really iterated um, across a series of, of, um, if you like, trial and errors, until we landed on You Can Book Me in about 2012, which really took off. And at that point, I was working actually in politics. I had a totally different career. Um, Keith was a developer, so he was building the web applications directly, and then um, I started um, running the company, basically building the company, the business requirements around the the demand for the product from around 2012. So I'm 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 a kind of an entrepreneur and founder, but very much a jack of all trades. You know, I've got a, I've had a couple of different careers under my belt before I started doing this, so I'm kind of very much a first time a uh, startup founder,
1: you know, person. Okay. And and you you're based in the UK? Uh is that? Yes.
0: Right? So me and Keith um are in Bedford in not just north of London. Um we but our company is remote, so Okay. We, that's that became a decision fairly early on. Um so we our company's now spread around Spain, um the and the US and a few others in the UK.
1: Okay, very cool. um How many people uh, are working?
0: So we're up to now thirteen people. We've okay. just done a little hiring round of people in in the US. So we our customer success team is is largely based in the US. Our dev team is largely based in in um, Spain
1: and the UK. So um, yeah, we're up to up to thirteen and still hiring. Okay. And a little bit more about the the product You Can Book Me, you know, what it does, why uh, people would use it.
0: You Can Book Me is really simple. It's online scheduling. It's the booking tool that will integrate with your Google Calendar or Microsoft or iCloud Calendar. So everybody from, you know, individual executives or founders who need to just manage their time um, during the week. Can get booked in. Can send a link round. It's a personalised link that goes straight into their calendar. Um, through to you know, quite multi-dimensional. Um, use cases in companies that are doing sales or customer onboarding or recruitment or marketing and who are sort of managing a lot more resources and want kind of sort of, if you like, at-scale scheduling. So we work with a lot of big companies who implement You Can Book Me across all their teams um, so that everybody gets scheduling and they get,
1: they start to manage all their um, their interactions with their customers. Okay, and, and so uh, <clears throat> the official... Form of You Can Book Me um, started in 2012, uh, 13 people now. Um, are you allowed to share any uh, revenue metrics, uh, uh, ARR or MRR?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't sort of, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what my monthly PNL looks like, but yeah. certainly we've grown, we grew, we had a very sort of traditional uh, growth rate trajectory in the first couple of years. You know, mm-hmm. you grow very, very fast. And this is one of the things that I know we're going to focus on, which is how do you do that and bootstrap and how do mm-hmm. you. Combine um, the pressures of growing the tool um, and not taking on money because that's one of the big things about you can book me is that we're not we're revenue funded so it's mm-hmm. very important. Um, so we've just I mean we a, a while ago we passed our two million dollar ARR mark okay and, um, basically building on that this year so I'd be expecting us to um, hit three million um, ARR you
1: know within the next twelve months certainly. Uh, congrats uh, uh, very good metrics for a, for a saAS business so your, um, so you, you mentioned uh, your, your bootstrap business uh, you know why uh, the bootstrapping decision? how did you fund the business uh, uh, initially
0: so um, really, really good questions and it 's a combination of time um, debt risk patience. Um, and, um, and luck, actually, in some ways, you know, basically a combination of taking risks and being lucky um, and sort of knowing what you've got. So I think the first, the first thing to say is you can't bootstrap any product. It's not a choice, you know, for, for, for every business owner or choice because some people need upfront capital, particularly if they've obviously got high capital costs to yeah. get in the first place. One of the things that made a difference for us was that our choice around the product that we built was allowed us to move slow more slowly. We could basically grow along um the the the, the pace set by customers and demand as opposed to having to kind of do a much more bigger upfront thing. We're not making widgets and need a factory in China or whatever yeah. to. Do it secondly um i think that we were very responsive to the product itself so as i said before we'd actually built two or three other products before you can book me we built a survey building tool you know something along the lines of type form or um survey mm-hmm. That we actually built something like that in 2003. Um, we have another uh, scheduling tool called When Is Good, which was which is ours, and actually it's still live and in production. But the difference between those tools that we built and You Can Book Me is that we could tell, having done a year's worth of investment in there, that um, they weren't making enough money. And so even with all of the best will in the world and how much money, you know, you, you personally want to put in in terms of your time and, um, and borrowing it, in the end of the day, if you're not going to get your customers to buy it, you've got to make a decision about how scalable something is. So we, our tools have all traditionally been free to low touch, low cost purchase so you basically need to sell a lot of them in order to make any money um and we could tell with our previous products that we weren't going to make enough money in time so we basically pivoted or switched or failed you know i mean it's it's you can book me to our first money making tool but it's not our first tool Mm -hmm. i think you have to study very closely the experience of what do successful tools look like why do customers pay for something value price points that kind of thing and i think that um we had time and patience so Yes, we worked. Both Keith and I worked as contractors. We both were lucky to get freelance work, and we did that for a long time. So I didn't actually stop my freelance work until sort of towards the end of 2013, um, 2014. So, you know, at that point, it it starts to become a point where you realize that the tool can pay you um, and you don't, and actually breaking out for a day to go and do a day's consultancy is actually more harmful than the money that you would that you would earn. So I, I reached that point, as I said, towards the end of 2013. I just realised I can't do anything else other than run You Can Book Me. Um, and I think from that point of view, your management accounts, when you're bootstrapping, you need to be really clear that at some point as founders you do need to be paid, that the company can't expect self-sacrifice for years. So you need to know what that switch looks like. And you need to, um, you know, essentially when I say You Can Book Me is profitable – it's profitable on top of the fact that it pays me and Keith a market rate. And that's, that's really important to us because the company has to pay back what you put into it. And then finally, um, we had a combination of um, you, you need to be very, very good at cash flow. So um, when money comes into your bank account, obviously, everybody knows the famous stories when companies get get it wrong in terms of the difference between cash flow and income. So you're taking money in advance, which means you've got money in your bank. That's not actually money that you can call income for that month. So that thing, you know, that sort of accountancy um, thing has to happen. Um, and we learned those lessons. We understood those fairly quickly and um, I knew the difference between money that was coming in um, that we could spend on a monthly basis for our PL, if you like, and, and money that we could borrow from ourselves to pay for future, you know, future investments. So we did that. So we took money in advance for like upfront subscriptions, 12-month subscriptions, 24-month subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Because of a growth rate, a, he- a very healthy growth rate, we could basically combine a forecast of how fast we were growing versus how much money in advance we were going to get. So we knew how much we could spend On top of what our technical actual income was, and we rode that way for quite a few years, and then borrowed money from the bank—good old-fashioned overdraft from Mm -hmm. the bank—and we took out some private loans. So when I knew that we needed to bridge the gap between how much money we were going to get in versus our longer-term income forecast, we borrowed money. Mm -hmm. So that that and that's all been paid off now. So um, we, you know, we, we it's it's not. For the faint hearted, bootstrapping a freemium tool, because there's a lot of months where you you literally are running payroll yeah. on the last day, making sure that your stripe, you know, payments are going in to cover what you need to pay out. So that it's it's you need to um have a combination of really hard rules around money in the bank and what you spend versus a sense of optimism and forecasting and risk, which is belief in your product. So we we did this with You Can Book Me because we really believed that You Can Book Me was going to make us money in the end. Whereas with When Is Good and Tickbox and the other tools that we built, in the end, I just thought, I'm not quite sure. You know, I'm not sure we can make money out of this. So I can't, I'm not borrowing 100,000 quid or something off the back of something which I'm not totally um, sure is going to pay me back.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, th- I think every bootstrapped uh, founder that's sort of listening to this can certainly empathize uh, uh, with that. Uh, and even uh, bootstrapped uh, events uh, founders can uh, uh, empathize with that uh, as well. Just ge- in generally bootstrapping a business is uh, it- it- it's pretty tough. Right. And uh, um, yeah, I think, as you said, you've got to have that optimism. But uh, uh, there-, there are large sort of parts of the month where it's uh, it- it's pretty stressful.
0: You've got to set yourself some tests and set yourself some questions because when we first started, we, like every other entrepreneur, just assumed we would raise money. That was a sort of – that's the kind of world that you're in. It's about VCs, and investors, and meeting them, and angels, and seed rounds, and you start to understand what the term sheets look like and what VCs um, – motivations are which are all perfectly you know perfectly reasonable and as i said sometimes having a partner in a investment firm who wants to go the long run with you and put in quite a lot of cash because you need that upfront investment that's the only way and it's good to have them on board absolutely um but we what what, what we realized sort of early on was that it's not it, it is not easy either way so if you take on money from a VC, the question you have to ask yourself is, is this going to make any of my decisions easier? And if you think having the money given to you is going to make your decisions easier, it's because you're not really understanding risk properly. Because what often happens, if you then turn that on its head and you go, oh, actually, but if it was my money, if it was my money in the bank account, would I spend it on a marketing plan or a consultant or a review or you know new branding or t-shirts or i have to go to five conferences this year you know if it was actually literally my money in the bank account would i would i spend it Hmm. whereas if the vcs have just given me five hundred thousand, it's not my money and so it feels like oh great they've given me this bonus i'm going to spend it on all of this stuff yeah and i think that that was what happened very quickly with us when we realized we weren't we were literally have going to have to pay back every single penny we borrowed and, and earned um For a couple of years, we didn't go to any conferences. I mean, I shouldn't say this to you. (laughs) I'm fully in favor of going to conferences now. But, you know, for some people, it is just not the expense that they need right now. You know, they haven't got a £1,000 to spend on that or or ordering T-shirts or if you like some of the really kind of fun external stuff. But equally, where the really big risk comes from is hiring people. So, again, you could actually have a glut of money from a VC saying, here's, you know, go grow, go grow, go hire people. And again, you hire people thinking, well, it's okay, because I've got this sort of, this little um, runway to fund this. And how carefully are you thinking through those decisions? Who have you hired? Who do you think it's important to work with? I've quite, been quite evangelical here, but I absolutely um, have experience that I think that I make better decisions, because it's my money. Mm-hmm. And, and and conversely, the VCs know that because that's obviously moral hazard. That the, the the VCs will be on your back every single time they give you money because they know that you are you have a uh, you know a, a basically a higher. Um, uh, capacity for risk when it's their money and not yours. So they have to find ways of getting into your business model to, to make good choices about spending their money, because at the end of the day, it's their money. It's not your money. Bootstrapping is hard, but it's but it's no harder than taking VCs. Just VCs is a different kind of route, which is also hard. So I think that from my point of view, we decided to go down the bootstrapping route because I just felt like my skills were better applied to being scrappy, you know, essentially being quite frugal, um, making good choices about not spending money and being patient in terms of looking for success. Those were, I had good skills to learn how to run a company whilst we were, you know, whilst for the long, slow ramp of SAS. That, that is a very long, slow um, down ramp. And so as long as you're patient to get up there, I think that is. And en- I've ended up making better decisions along the way, whereas I think that if I'd taken money at the very beginning, I'd have had that kind of pressure on making decisions which were aligned to the VC's um, ambitions and not necessarily for mine. And also, I don't think I would have made decisions now based on the experience that I've had.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I guess uh, I was sort of thinking, uh, you you know, going back to when you you joined on, let's say, you know, Stop the Side Projects and uh, you you were full-time in at, like, end of 2013... Did, did you notice? Was there a big impact to the business? Um, you know, at, at that point, so when it had, uh, uh, say, full time uh, attention from from you and Keith. Uh,
0: um. Yeah, no, I, de- I definitely think there was a moment, well, I think when you borrow money from a bank, you know, you're going all in. I mean, borrowing money from your friends or family or, you know, foregoing a bit of income, you can sort of afford, to, I shouldn't say this out loud, but you can sort of afford to lose it. Like your family know if, you, if they've lent you money, you know, it's they're backing you, but they're not going to suddenly send in the bailiff's. Whereas when you borrow money from a bank, the bank's going, yeah, we, we've taken your business plan. We expect you to pay this back. We're obviously going to charge you an, uh, an interest on it and stuff. That makes you sit up. And I've read, I think it's um, views of SaaS advisors who say that you've got to be all in, you know, you have to, you have to go for it. And I don't think you can hedge. Now, I don't think that means that you can be, you don't have to be sort of financially um, reckless. Like, as I said, I think you need to have a good good budget, know what your spreadsheets tell you, know how much money you've got in the bank, know how much you're planning on spending and avoid making any frivolous spending completely. But equally, you know, you're not going to to move unless you, if you like, take some risks. So, you know, I was hiring people into my growth rate, not my profit margin or my cash flow. I was hiring people assuming I would continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if we'd stopped growing, then my budget would have fallen flat on its face. So you have to start doing an analysis of the risk that you're facing. And that is, that's ultimately what I feel, you know, marks out, um, you know, an entrepreneur that is, that is doing well is somebody who is defining risks by, well, what happens if I lose all the money? Well, what happens if, am I letting people down? What would be the worst case scenario? Would I have to lose my job? Would I be able to pay the rent? You know, what is the worst case scenario in all of this? And for that to be brutal, if you like, but, but doable. Like if the worst case scenario happens, I'd accept it on the on the nose because it's worth going forward with the project. Now, obviously, now six seven years later, with the with with hindsight, it's great to look back and say, "Whoa, look, we've got you know a couple million turnover now. We're doing well. You can book me as perfectly solvent. It's a good business. Surely all our decisions, you know, were correct. Actually, along the way, we've made all sorts of decisions that weren't the right ones. You know, we've gone for." you know, forward three steps, two steps back. There has been, you know, opportunities for failure, opportunities for success. There's things I should have done that I didn't do that would have made us, you know, more successful. So in the end, you're still on a journey and on a story which relies on your own judgment and your own learning curve. And this is what I wanted to say about the VC stuff before is that I'm, like many people I'm sure listening you know if you've done this for if you're if you're doing this for the first time you literally by definition have not run a company before you've not hired people before you've not figured out what the hr stuff is involved in that what the corporate operations are like the legal regulations compliance data you know the stuff the, the, the bread and butter of running a company is not the same thing as building a product so keith you know as a software developer he built a product he built an online scheduling tool. it interacts with calendar apis you know it's like that's what he's built, but that's not the same thing as a as a company mm-hmm. or a or a, or a, or a business or something that's sustainable that people can get mortgage, mortgages off the back of so that whole sense of operations that you have to pad around I've been learning on the job so the 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 years that that's taken, the more involved I've got, the more if you like systemic decisions i've had to take like we're setting up a u.s subsidiary we're hiring this person you know we are paying out for that we're buying this we're doing that and these things all add if you like solidity to your decision that you're running a business but i think it does take quite a few years i I heard that um ben chestnut from uh Mm mailchimp said takes about 10 years to get into your stride and we're now with 10 years as i said we built when is good in 2007 technically we've been building products since 2003 and i think that um you know 10 years has been where we've been really trying to do it and the moments that i felt where we where we've, we've moved forward are things like borrowing money from the bank giving up our other jobs you know, saying to people with a straight face, I run a software company, you know, this is what we do. Um, and not hedging, not thinking, oh, I'm just dabbling and we'll do something else. Like, this is what we do. Um, this is our, you know, this is our, um, our jobs.
1: These are our jobs you 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 mentioned kind of earlier um, or sort of like briefly alluded to um maybe some like early meetings with uh, with with vcs or just even kind of having discussions with them and i'm sure conversations just kind of happen serendipitously at events uh, uh, as well right so not naming any names um uh, uh, like saston but um you you know is, is this something now? Uh, I, I guess you know, as you're coming to you know three million revenue new, three million revenue, you know probably soon five, et cetera, You're going to be a very attractive, uh, I think, in you know, a company for uh, VCs. And so, do, do you rule out taking uh, VC funding? You know, forever. Like you know, some people I know within the the SAS, SAS ecosystem will say, like you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll never go down the venture uh, venture route.
0: No, I don't think I would ever, I would never say never. I think the, the reason why we've done what we've done now is because we believe it's the best course of action for our own capacity and what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've seen is some people have bootstrapped up until you know, 10, 20 million right. turnover, and then they decide they want to take a big leap. And they and that's when the when you understand much more about what spending other people's money is about. Um, and so if you approach a VC to say, right, we've decided we want to take this leap, we reckon we need at least two or three million in the bank to underwrite, you know, what we want to do. Um, let's say we want to hire 20 more people or something or hire 30 people. Um, and to underwrite the the leap then we want more cash in the bank and we're prepared to sell a bit of our company, you know, in order to do that. But don't kid yourself that at the very beginning, you know, being a hundred percent owner of what you've got, you also get a hundred percent back of what you, the, the, the minute you start selling chunks of your company, it's because you believe you're going to get something back in return, which is worth more than the chunk you're selling yeah. in the short term. And it might be risk mitigation. So it might be I'm selling a chunk of my company um, for however you know X amount of money because I don't feel like taking on the risk anymore. I want somebody else to, to mitigate that risk and pay me for the privilege of it. So it's a transactional deal that you get. And up until now, I felt, as I said, more comfortable owning 100% of what we have um, because we are the masters of our own destiny. But that is not to say that that situation wouldn't change. I'm not ideologically opposed to it. As I said, I just think it's not black and white. And I think many investors, I think that the mistake will, will, will be where I don't want founders to feel like they are a failure if they can't raise funding because they can't take, give a VC 10 times return and all the metrics that VCs will quote at you. That doesn't mean to say that you haven't got a good business, but it might be that you're only going go for a, a two times return. But a two times return on 100% of what you own is actually a very significant amount of money. Mm-hmm investment so it's only a poor return if you're having to share it out with a whole lot of people so I think that what you need to, to to stay focused on is other measures for me that is six are, are, that I focus on are things like profit margin because as, as long as I have a profitable business I all the choices are in my are in my hands okay. and I can tell what that profit margin is how that's going to be affected by my choices and by my growth rate and by my churn rate and by you know um, how much we want to spend on marketing so I can still I can look and see how much this company is is go, how much money this company is going to make, and if it's worthwhile me sharing that potential with somebody else who wants to buy into it, because then together we can make exponentially more, or I get less risk.
1: Then then I certainly would do it. Yeah, just sort of conscious we're, we're coming to the end of our times. Just want to ask a, a couple more sort of questions as we move, I guess, away from uh, the topic of bootstrapping and um, uh, VCs in the, in, in the last question. But, you know, tell us a little bit about, so now, you you, you know, you're, you're heading towards sort of 3 million ARR, you know, what is kind of next, you know, for your growth plans for, you know, 20, 2018, 2019 um, in terms of taking, you know, the business forward? Um, so specifically that around the business, uh, I guess kind of the first question, if we, we answer that.
0: Um, well, I mean, it's like every business, just grow, you know, do more, add in more features, be better, get more customers. That's all the usual stuff. Um, I think online scheduling is becoming more and more. Obviously, everybody's heard Calendly. There's Schedule Once. There's Acuity. There's like a whole range of scheduling tools out there, and we are happy to be you know, taking them all on. Actually, quite recently, You Can Book Me was named by G2 Crowd as one of the top 50 software companies in our in our um, sector with the number one scheduling tool according to G2. So I'm feeling pleased about the investment we've made in the tool recently um, is bearing fruit um, and we're attracting bigger and bigger customers to the solution. And actually quite a few people are using You Can Book Me, are using you Can, um, online scheduling for the first time. So I feel that the growth potential inside the sector is very, um, very high because um, there's so many companies that still don't use any any solution. So, um, you know, we, we can pick off all of them first before we even start thinking about the competition. But it's always, it's always fun. I mean, there's quite a lot of bootstrap companies actually who do online scheduling. Mm-hmm. So, and I meet them at conferences and we all can share, you know, the war stories of what we're trying to do because online scheduling in the end is a very personal thing. It's to do with people's calendars it's their day-to-day life and so whether they trust you as a tool to take care of a time slot for them you know uh, it, it, it's 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 like being it, the tool is holding their hand every day in terms of what they're what they do so it's it as a result of that it's a very human a very personal interaction our customers are very close to us they talk to us all the time they email us you know if um if there's any issues, it's all on Twitter all the time. So we do enjoy what we're doing. And I think that our, our ambition is to continue to grow that tool, to grow that customer base and to reinvest in our engineering so that we stay ahead of the pack. We just basically still, still carry on as, you know, as we always have done.
1: Okay. Uh, and um, last question. So, obviously, be, being a first-time entrepreneur, running a business for the first time is, is tough. Uh, bootstrapping a SaaS business is, uh, is very tough and getting out the, the slow SaaS ramp of, uh, of death. So, uh, you yourself, uh, you know, how do you take care of yourself? How do you stay sane, uh, you know, through this journey?
0: So I think that's a really good question and it's something I've learned over years of sometimes not taking care of myself and getting very stressed. And I think most of my advice of what we do and what I do is um psychological it's kind of it's good it's good uh psychological rules that you need to have for yourself. Um one is that your huge amount of commitment and effort and obsession and, and 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 time like any like anything to get something off the ground. But if you're gonna be in it for the long term over years and years and years, basically there is no turnaround two year flip, you know, build it and flip it. Like successful businesses take years to build. And as a result, life goes on, relationships happen, family parties happen, children happen, you know, holidays happen. And you can't sacrifice every single one for the sake of your business because if you do cumulatively, you've spent 10 years missing out on your relationships. So I, I would recommend never to sacrifice human relationships for the sake of your business. It's basically not worth it. And by extension, as I said, look to bootstrapping or managing your company so that it pays you. So even if you're getting, taking on VC, even if your VC is going to, VCs and banks will never want to give you money to pay yourself. But I've always been very robust about that, even, you know, with the bank on overdraft limits and everything else to say, you know, this, the company has to pay its CEO, it has to pay its CTO, we deserve salaries because we work for, we work for this company. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's been very good to help my mental health, my sort of separation um, of states, if you like, from personal to professional. I think also what I've done is just good routines. Just, it's just good time management. So you know what you do in the morning. You know what you're doing in the evenings. You know what you're trying to do. You manage your time. Use a tool like you can book me. So people will email me wanting to do things. And, you know, I'll know what I'm doing this week. So I'll send my tool, my, my booking link for two weeks time to say, book me in two weeks. And start filling my diary up in two weeks' time. So I'm always, I'm not trying to overcrowd any one week with stuff to do. So I think you need to be very good at prioritization and very disciplined about what you say yes to, um, to, to in order to clock off and do, you know, a reasonable um, work week. Now I don't think any entrepreneur would claim that they managed to do this whole thing within forty hours a week at the beginning, because it's very hard. And you enjoy it. You know, you can, you can get obsessed with something because you're genuinely enjoying it. Um, but I don't think you should allow the enjoyment of building something turn into the stress of being accountable and responsible for it all the time. And that's when hiring people and how you hire people and hiring good people that you can trust and delegate really, really matters. Because at the end of the day, as your business grows, like we said at the beginning, we have 13 people now working for You Can Book Me. So I need to trust them to take decisions Um, inside the company, um, I can't micromanage them because if I did, I would go crazy. So I think it, it follows through on how you then run a company yourself that is then turning around to give you the freedom back that you want to spend, you know, doing something else. So I think you need to have really good kind of mental health strategies to keep yourself separated from what you're doing, but at the same time, keep yourself productive
1: and efficient. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being a great guest on the, uh, on the show today. Um, uh, pleasure to speak with you, uh, uh, as always. Uh, learned a lot from uh, listening to you, as, I, uh, as I'm sure uh, our listeners have done. And thank you so much, uh, Bridget Harris, CEO of You Can Book Me. You're welcome, Alex. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show with Bridget Harris, CEO and co-founder of You Can Book Me and have picked up valuable insights on making sound financial decisions, regardless if you're bootstrapped or not. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And see you next time.